Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. I'm Becca Piastrelli, and this is Belonging, where I talk about what it means to belong to the earth, to yourself, to your ancestors, and in community. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Belonging, the podcast. It's Becca Piastrelli here with a really beautiful conversation to share with you from Yaya Aaron Rivera Merriman, also known as Active Culture Family on Instagram. So Yaya is a plant spirit medicine practitioner specializing in sacred plant medicines for communication and relationship. A devotee, artist, and mother of primarily Taino and Irish descent, Yaya was raised on a 100-acre Christmas tree farm in rural Connecticut where she was taught from a young age the importance of living in harmony with the natural world. Believing strongly in the necessity of hybrid medicine to meet the unique challenges of modern life, Yaya is engaged in the continued study of plant medicine, active dreaming, and goddess traditions from around the world as gateways into the richness of direct personal experience of uncurated reality. I guess where I met Yaya (laughs) at Spirit Weavers. I remember she did a kava ceremony and she was talking about chronic pain and disease and experiences of the body being allies, seeing them as allies. And I remember thinking, wow, that's really interesting. And I started following her on Instagram at Active Culture Family. Highly recommend. And realized she she and I have similar ancestry from the Celtic peoples and that she's also Taino from, well, we explain the braided blood of the Taino bloodline in this episode from Central and South America. And she has a deep connection to the wheel of the year and different spiritualities and has studied with all these different teachers in a way that I just find really beautiful and fascinating. 
and enlightening. So I asked her to come on to belonging to just share more about her life and her beliefs and her practices. And really, I just, anytime I get to listen to her wisdom, I, I feel deeply touched by it. So I ask her to share her people, share more about the Taino indigenous people, this braided blood she speaks of. And um, she talks about developing a relationship with the land you live on too. And I love how she refers to the land she's living on when we recorded this many months ago. She was newly moved to her land and she considered them just dating, which I think is a really beautiful animist way to look at places we live as opposed to just places we use, places we're in relationship with. She talks about the way she works with the Wheel of the Year to foster reconnection to nature. And then we dive in deep to relationship to time, mine and hers, and seeing linear time as a tool, not necessarily something to be adhered to. And I share about where I am in my pregnancy now when we're recording it, but I'll be on the other side when this comes out. And she really shares this powerful indigenous perspective of pregnancy as a medicine initiation to be cut from linear time. She shares vulnerably about in this year, 2020, which has been a really intense year for all of us, about how she's been ensnared or enspelled in linear time and her ancestral and daily practices to come to a place of receptivity and reconnection and recentering. And then we talk about plant allies for a time of racial uprising and healing from white supremacy and how we can work with plants to resource ourselves in this year, in these years, in this time, which is not going to be over soon. We've got a lot of work to do and how we can tend to ourselves and stay in it. She's deeply connected to Kava and others. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I also highly recommend following and being a part of Yaya's community. Again, Instagram, Active Culture Family. I also really recommend Active Culture Family's Patreon. So that's patreon.com slash Active Culture Family, where you can be a patron, but there's also over 100 pieces of free content and they offer classes and there's it's a really deeply accessible way to connect more to these indigenous, ancestral, seasonal ways of being, especially being with the plants that Yaya is so excellent at. And she wanted me to mention she has a course called Dreaming with the Ancestors that really shares ancestral communication practices from her and her team of teachers from various lineages. And if you want to know more about that, you can go to Rio Cosmico, Rio as in river, cosmic river riocosmico.com. Take a listen to this episode. And if you're interested in more, hit up those links because Yaya is a deeply powerful teacher that I highly recommend. Okay. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Yaya. So you say you're, you're on top of a mountain. Could you let us know like where, where in time and space you are right now talking to me? Yes. Um, in January of this year, 2020, I was guided to a piece of land in 
the Cleveland National Forest in Descanso, California. That's the foothills of the Laguna Mountains or the Cuyamaca area. It's Kumaye territory, and um, it's about 20 minutes from the farm where we've been holding our apprenticeship gatherings for the last three years. Uh, so it's been a a bumpy ride to landing, or maybe a, lo- uh, a long climb mm. to landing on the top of this particular foothill, but it feels like a good place to be right now. I'm really grateful for all that you share. I particularly really love your um, Instagram TVs, IGTVs, these little bite-sized moments where you share this wisdom and share the plants or this, the seasonal celebrations or what you're going through, or it's just a beautiful way to tap in and drop in with you in this deeper way and remind us that we are creatures of the earth and we are creatures of the stars and we are animals and we are of the plants and we are with the plants and all of it. So I also recently, as of recording, got to be in your workshop for the virtual weave for braided blood. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed your perspective of weaving together the the different ancestral lineages you come from, the different identities you embody. And so there's a question I like to ask us on this podcast that I'd like to, I'm very curious how you'll answer. And of course, answer in any way that feels true which is, um, what do you belong to? Hmm. I belong to a freshwater stream that is made up of many droplets that does not begin in this time or space, but does flow through this time and space and that flow has a very distinct rhythm and so I also belong to that rhythm Mm. I'd love to hear more (laughs) it's a big question I know are there specific questions that come up for you when you hear that answer that could help me narrow it down more that would be irrelevant to you and your audience in this moment? Yeah, yeah, of course. Thank you for clarifying that. Okay, well, first of all, I'm curious, who are your people? Who are the people you come from? Hmm. You could start with that. Wow. My mother's side my people are the people of the sacred high waters, the mountain high waters. That is their identity and language, and specifically the mountain high waters of Boriken uh, or Puerto Rico. So my mother's family is Taino, which is really a, a, a blended bloodline to begin with. It is not one genetic cultural group. It is a braid on its own and uh, includes African and new research indicates that the natives of 
the Caribbean, Dominican Republic, Haiti, Puerto Rico, uh, actually originated from the mountains in Peru and came down the mountains and migrated to the Amazon basin and then traveled from the Amazon basin across the Caribbean in uh, canoes uh, coming along the Orinoco River. And that research comes from studying some feces samples that show a particular species of corn in the Taino feces samples that do not actually grow in the Caribbean. They only grow in certain regions of Peru. So this is this question of of where did it begin is really deep for me because there there's always another higher mountain and another stream and another stream. And then on my father's side, we're English, Irish, and German, and it is the Irish ancestors that speak to me most clearly in my dreams and in my narratives uh, but there are also English and German ancestors who come from time to time to say don't forget about us we're in here too so I'm I'm very enchanted I would say passionate about seeing the the things about me that are considered uniquely mine and uniquely my flavor learning how those actually come from somewhere and they, they come from land and they come from relationships that these bloodlines had with particular pieces of land and animals and plants there. So kind of unpacking my sense of self and deconstructing the contemporary perception of that, that our essence or flavor is just kind of some mysterious gift from God that I believe it's accumulated over a really long period of time. And I find that exciting. So I belong to, to all of these places where my bloodlines have flowed and existed, including the one that I find myself in now. Hmm. Yeah. So now I'm curious about the lands, these lands that you belong to, because a lot of us, most of us, I can't say all of us here in this whatever time and space we're gathered together in this conversation. Um, do not live on our ancestral homelands. And there's something I see in the way, or at least make meaning of the way I perceive you, of the way you live, of just really embracing the plants and embracing the land, the microclimate and the land where you live. So what is your relationship to the land you live on now? Oh, thank you for asking. It's a new relationship. So like most new relationships that very new, where you're very excited about it and you have intuitions, dreams, alignments, fantasies, projections about what's happening and why, um, and hopes and fears. And it's kind of hard to know when, when it's it's safe to say that it's happening at all and that it's mutual. So I'm, I've only been um, on this particular piece of this land in Descanso for three months but I do it's like the, the moment where you're gonna say like we're dating <laughs> you know like I do think it's safe to say we're doing a thing here and that it's it's mutual but we're, we're really still getting to know each other and I do come with a lot of hopes dreams and expectations and I know that can be feel like pressure. So I hope that the land does not feel pressured by all of my visions for what I might like to happen here. And I hope that I can 
corral my quadruple Aries uh, enthusiasm so that I can be patient and listen and allow the land to have space in the relationship to reveal to me who they are. But it is 10 acres of half of it is a, is a granite face that has manzanita and ceanothus and fireweed and various kinds of more desert-like plants like yucca. And then there's the part of it that has been tended and cared for that has pine trees that were planted specifically to help retain the soil and shade the ground so that it would be more hospitable to other life forms. We have lizards. It's very stormy. It's unseasonably seasonal for Southern California. We have snow. We have 90 mile an hour winds. Uh, We have long weeks of rain. We have 90 degree uh, sun. So it, it feels like I will be able to experience the full spectrum of weather and of my emotions, my in- internal weather from this place of being able to see it all, observe it all a little more clearly. And that's really exciting for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing all of that. I feel like I could see it. I felt like I could be there. I felt the wind in my hair mm. as you were sharing a bit about this land you're dating. <laughs> well, we secretly moved in together. Oh, <laughs> I love that though, because that's really framing of the relationship with the, with the land, because I think so many of us, or at least in this culture, uh, it's like you get the land and you do what you want with it. You make it like palatable and pleasurable or whatever for you, you know, which is really just another form of domination. Yeah. <laughs> another form of 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 really colonizing. And I do know what you mean about being able to experience like a seasonality cuz I too live in California. I live up north. I'm just north of San Francisco and I think that what I make of this is that because my ancestors are from a deeply seasonal place and there is such a way to connect right? Our emotional weather, our internal weather to what's happening seasonally. It's the maybe the extremes of like snow and freeze and heat and wind and rain evoke an experience of life. I know I really desire. And there are four seasons where I live in Northern California. They're just very subtle. Mm -hmm. So hearing your sort of delight in discovering with this new land partner that there's there's something being evoked in you through the way seasonality is expressed on this mountain. I I mean, that sounds great. <laughs> Thank you. I think so too. Yeah. So we should say your work, a lot of your work is with supporting folks reconnecting to the earth, to the seasons, to the land. And you said you live close by to where you work. And I'd love to hear more about um, what you do in that space. I've heard about it from 
folks who have been in it and I've seen it and I I love how you dance with the wheel of the year and you really integrate as someone who has this like mixed heritage where it's like I'm like I am someone who's just like very primarily descended from this part of Europe, this old part of Europe. And so to see the way you weave in your ancestry and the plants in this place in Southern California, I'd just love to hear more about that work. Hmm. Well, this is our third apprenticeship group that we have taken through the wheel of the year. And the idea is to, to have an experience of a piece of land and a, and a group of sisters in all seasons and to watch the creative process in action as uh, manifest by our personal growth in the, through the seasons and what's actually growing, being harvested, being eaten, dying, uh, regenerating. Um, around us so hopefully there's something that happens there that's kind of non-linear deep in the psyche where we come to really know that we're just there's no separation we're an inextricable part of consciousness coming into form and that we are to some degree bound by the the laws of nature and and the season, but I would say really held and supported by those. So if if we want to do whatever we want, whenever we want to do it, we might feel restricted by seasonality. But if we want to participate with the rest of the natural world and we want the support of the natural world to do it, then we'll feel really supported by the choice to align more consciously aligned with the seasons. And so the whole program really rests on the the friendship that I've been able to form with land steward Caroline Arnold of Elder Farm and her receptivity to somebody with a big idea coming and bringing it to her home, really. And so we think of the apprenticeship as an opportunity to live the wheel of the year and deepen sisterhood, but it's also primarily about studying different ideas about what constitutes right relationship. So we really in, we invite people to be a part of our relationship and to learn the the tools and the skills and the practices that we've committed to in our relationship that enable us to collaborate on such a massive, long-term, volatile, unwieldy, magical, dynamic project without it blowing up the our friendship. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, like the wheel keeps you walking. And the plants keep you in relationship. And as you're doing, I mean, I can, I can really sense how that like sisterhood, sisterhood work with like the constant moving of the wheel with like the presence and shifting of the plants as they are, can keep you in, in, in constant healing motion 
which feels so powerful. I think a lot of a lot of us do this work on our own. I think it's so beautiful that you bring together cohorts to do this work in a communal way, which is really the way we once did, right? The way we once did all of all of this and just like the healing in in doing all of that. Mhm. Yeah, it does feel like sometimes the wheel of the year feels like goddess's compost drum. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, I, I made something beautiful, compost drum. Something worked. I'm feeling special and fancy, compost drum. Something didn't work. I'm feeling terrible and awful, compost drum. Like, it, what doesn't matter, like, the good, the bad, the ugly, the I'm the greatest, I'm the worst, the you, you hurt me, it's your fault. I, I like the the you healed me, you're you say rest saved me, like whatever. All of the the best and worst and everything in between, it it gets turned and churned as soil for the the next present moment. So there is an interesting kind of relationship to time and respect for a, a kind of relentless rhythm of time and life that comes from the process also a kind of awesome terrible rhythm of life <laughs> oh my gosh yeah what is your relationship to time out of curiosity you know this whole like linear time doesn't exist right well it does exist on a relative level and one of the things i'm sitting with right now is just like the the importance of acknowledging the absolute and relative in all things and so like time linear time for me the way I've come to not feel it to be an enemy or a construct or a patriarchal structure overlaid onto real time is that that structure enables us to come into relationship because if if you know, if I plant the seeds when the moon is here and you plant other seeds when the moon is there, but we want to come into relationship with other villages, there needs to be some like objective way of matching up smaller and smaller increments of time. So I see how the way that we're moving around the planet has necessitated the evolution of such a structured, immovable, objective, sacred wheel of 12 sections or 24 depending on how you conceptualize it but that it's the 13th section that enables us to be if our goal is to align with the highest most accurate cosmic time the um, you know Nor north american natives used the the turtle's back and the 13 segments of the turtle's back and the then there were 13 moons of the year and there's 13 kinds of estrogen. Uh, so the 13th segment is what allows for like evolutionary cosmic accuracy. But so the absolute time and the 12 is the relative time. And we do have, we do exist within both. And I think that it's important to honor both, but unfortunately it's the relative linear time that is getting all of the play <laughs> and hogging the microphone, if you will, and other, a lot of people aren't able to locate themselves within real cosmic time. And that's a real shame. 
Yes. It, it, but right, you can't abandon. Well, maybe you can. <laughs> I'm unable to abandon the like 12 sections. Like I, I get deeply frustrated whenever there's, um, uh, what do you call it? When the time changes twice a year. What is that called? I don't know why I can't remember it. Pregnancy brain. Um, Daylight savings. Thank you. Daylight savings. But like we have to adhere to it. But then if there's a way we can just like notice the 13 moons or the way the cosmic time or deep time, spiralic time, ancestral time is, is always present, has always been present all around us within ourselves, you know, in our dreams, in our gardens, like there is the presence of this, that it can create a deeper relationship to, to life, to aliveness, to death, to the whole, to the whole cycle of it. And I think I'm really curious. I I mean, okay. So when we started this conversation, I was, I was saying to you, like, I'm doing all these recordings, very pregnant, eight months pregnant, and I'm noticing my body and my my spirit, maybe my ancestors are like, okay, it's time to like get off, get off of linear time a little bit and just be in this, enter into this portal, into this space of leading up to the birth, the birth of you as mother, the birth of me as mother, the birth of my child, my first child. And, and that I am being sort of taken into this place that doesn't feel very linear and technology is starting to like bug me and all these things. And so I know that you're a mama. I know that you run a business. I know that you are also in deep relationship with cosmic time and your dreams and and so much more of nature and spirituality and all the ways like that connects in your ancestral body. And I'd, I'd love to know how you navigate these realms. Do I have your permission to back up and and answer your question in a, a a longer chronological way absolutely okay and are you open to a little bit of deconstructive spellcraft here okay okay so i'm going to enter into your question from back at the point where you said so there's this linear time and we have to adhere to it because I think that this kind of magic that you are creating with a podcast and all podcasts everywhere, it's so powerful. It's just, it's a very high level of word magic and that it endures. It goes into time and space and like might exist. It might be being heard I don't know, on another planet, it might be being heard in a hundred years by someone who's never contemplated these things. So I just want to start by saying, we do not need to adhere to it. It's a tool. And so we have a choice if and how we choose to use that tool. And what we do need is not an optional or a choice is to find and adhere to our own natural rhythm. If we don't do that, we'll die. If we don't choose to honor linear time, 
there are other ways to exist in in a body on earth and make a really good living and so for people interested in these things the Queros people of Peru they have some of the highest initiations available on the planet and they do feel within their own lineage to my understanding that it's part of their role to initiate practitioners from other genetic lineages so many different people of magic from all around the world go to the Keros people for these particular initiations one of which is to be cut forever from linear time so I, I say that to paint a picture of the spectrum of desires and needs that a person might have in order to be healthy and embody. And some people need to actually be permanently now and forever cut from linear time. And that's considered helpful if you'd like to live in greater balance with the cosmic harmony. And furthermore, I think it's really wonderful that you brought in your personal state of pregnancy into that particular question because pregnancy and birth is by many traditional people including my Arawak ancestors considered to be a medicine initiation and that if you in certain cultures if you've given birth three times then you've died the three deaths uh, symbolic deaths necessary to become a medicine person and um, an elder and, and wisdom keeper for your people and childbirth and the hormones and the whole process is one way to be cut from linear time illness is another and many people experience these initiations not through childbirth but through uh, severe illness and so there's all these mystical and not mystical practical and esoteric means that people are courting or are having visited upon them to like specifically interfere with the spell and the, the dominion and enslavement to linear time. So I'm excited for you because you are about to get some good medicine in addition to, to meet your baby mm. and grow your family and all those other <laughs> wonderful things. Wow. Yeah, I feel it. I feel the initiation of it really upon me in that way. So are you cut from linear time? I think I have been, and I think that I have chosen to reweave myself into it at different occasions, and then I have gotten ensnared in it recently more so than ever just due to the, the the pace at which the um whole planet initiations are coming at us has just kind of unnerved me and unseated me and found some some leaks or holes in my my energetic web you know I lapsed in a number of practices that were really important to me in the it's the stress and pace of, of keeping up with the changes um, with quarantine and, and mothering and, and moving household and dividing household in middle in the middle of quarantine and all of that. So I am not like ashamed to say I'm unwell at this time by my own standards, 
but that doesn't mean I, I, I can't still be of service, but I, I'm not of my highest service because I do feel that I have been inspelled and ensnared in some things that I have already done a lot of work to not have be a part of my life, but things are cyclical. And so it's a time of kind of walking back and forth over that pathway a few more times and maintaining that, that trail that um, enables me to come and go as I please from different systems. Wow. You're very understanding of yourself and your patterns. I, in no, in no way have I heard from you any sort of judgment of yourself or, um, I don't know, failing or any that way. Like, I think it's true. I think the initiation of this year on this planet to the human family and all the uncertainty it's brought up, like it's hard to stay in a, in a space of rest and digest. And it's, it's, it's challenged so many of our rituals and challenged so many of our ways of being that we really had solidly, you know, there's, there's a new way of being afoot. And I really hear you in your trust of yourself and returning to, returning to you amidst this inspellment or ensnarement that you so beautifully said to trust that you can come to a place of, of healing and wellness once more. Hmm. Well, I certainly have felt like a failure and judged myself plenty during this season, <laughs> just for the record. <laughs> yeah, same, definitely same. So then what practices or rituals connect you to your ancestors and to your cosmic nonlinear self right now? It is the same ones that I have have found, but I kind of I go through phases of of coming home to them or kind of want, straying a little bit, um, getting distracted, and then coming home to them. The most consistent practice for me has been sadhanas in the Shakta Kaula Sri Vidya lineages of Tantra uh, and. Uh, which I have received from my teacher, Laura Amazoni, who has shares them with permission from her teacher, Uma Parvati Nath. And their mantras, it's a, it's a sound, in the most practical sense, I could say it's a sound healing practice because they are mantras in Sanskrit, which although I study, I'm nowhere near uh, fluent or understanding of. So the the most basic conscious level in which I'm affected is that their vibrations that um, if the body was a stringed instrument and the central channel or spine and energy centers organized around the spine was the the, the neck and the strings of this like beautiful stringed instrument, I think we get out of tune pretty quickly like almost instantaneously when we go out into the world and like start interacting with things and and reacting and to have something that I do every day that just feels like picking up the instrument and tuning it even if I'm not going to try to play a masterpiece on that instrument that day that the practice 
of caring for it by keeping it in tune for when it needs to be playing its song at maximum volume or capacity or speed. That's like a way I could describe what the mantras are for me. And then in a more esoteric sense, my understanding, this was never said to me in this way, but my understanding of everything that has been said about the mantras is just that this is a very direct experience lineage. We do have workshops, we do have seminars where we learn history and cultural context of these ideas so that we can try to understand them that you know in in their proper cultural context but the teachings really come in a vibrational way through the mantras and so i consider it like if i sit down to practice that it's like calling goddess on the phone and i don't need to pray in the way that i might in, in other traditions that i'm a part of where i might say like you know Dear Great Spirit, it's me, Yaya, daughter of Migdalia. I'm coming to you today for these reasons. I have this prayer in my heart, and here's why I think that that this is a good strategy and and help me. Like I don't need to pray in that kind of way because it's it's like it's a Morse code or like a, a fully vibrational exchange where the chant opens this channel where. Uh, frequencies or codes are are going back and forth, and then experiences come into my daily life that are aligned with the things that that goddess is supposed to teach you about. So I don't see or hear her talking to me in the sadhana, but the sadhana is the link to that field of consciousness that gives permission for that field to come into my life and activate any person, any plant, any other medicine or practice to speak to me in a more readily understandable way or in ways that like my psyche can process and I can learn and grow from. So when I don't do that daily mantra, things unravel pretty quickly because my nervous system just can't, I don't know, I like, Maybe this is a um, not generous assessment, but it it at this time it does not feel as if my nervous system can is equipped to handle the things going on in my workplace or personal relationships or the world without the assistance of this coding of intelligence and protection and effectiveness that the sadhana provides. So. If I'm not doing my sadhana, everything else is not going well either. <laughs> mm. Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you for breaking that down. It sounds like the sadhana is like a call or an opening and then is the rest of the day about receiving the answers or the messages. The, the sense of time, like with these sadhanas we work with, with vows there's traditional length of, of time of the vow so in in response to what you just said the whole sadhana or the whole length of the vow is kind of like the day like i don't feel it as transactional as like you know i sat and then i had this experience today and i didn't sit so i had that experience it's like you commit to doing it every day for 40 days 
And the 40 days is, is like the journey. And so everything that happens in that time kind of coalesces toward the end of it, usually for me, to produce some very subtle but very important piece. Like, oh, this certain trait that's very deeply interwoven into who I am and how I talk and interact with other people and I, that I feel totally justified in having and doing, that's this thing people call being defensive. Like, that's kind of how it works for me, is me going, mm. oh, here's this little tweak of the lens that enables me to, like, understand more a massive piece of, like, that affects my quality of life in every area. Mm. Yeah. I see. I see. Wow. That's deeply powerful. And I think I'm feeling inspired in my own practices right now, particularly because I too feel so deeply challenged by this year, also entering into this, like approaching this birth portal of just like the clarity of that prayer, the clarity of that intention on a daily basis would, would feel really good. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that with me. Um, I want to, I want to close this conversation, um, with just like a personal curiosity I have for you, uh, which is, um, okay, we're recording this in July, but this is coming out in the later fall of 2020. So I'm curious what plant or plants have your special attention right now? Mm. Well, we're speaking from this massive um, constructive disruption that is the, the Black Lives Matter movement and what some are calling the second wave of the civil rights movement, which I do think that it, it is part of, but just really specifically this like really incredible opportunity to learn how to care for the needs of our black family members. And that's, it's really deep, like the layers and layers and layers of avoidance and unrelated seeming structures that have built up over time at what my teacher would call like encrusted layers that um, are crystallized around how we, we live and so to have those those layers of encrustment being like, you know, jackhammered off is necessary for us to get real with what life is and and the vastness of the spectrum. And yet our forms are fragile. Our nervous systems were already quite unwell for a long time. And I do think that that's ancestral. I think we're all coming from many, many, many different generations of trauma and abuse and all these things. And so it's really hard to say like to the world whose nervous system collectively is already quite fried and overwhelmed to say like, okay, now we're going to do some like dental work with no anesthesia and some jackhammering. Cool. Um, you know, no, it doesn't feel cool. Even when we believe it's necessary for where we ultimately want to go. And so one of my long-term allies has been Kava. And I feel that Kava just enables me to feel myself 
And when we've been in the midst of, of a longer process of upheaval, we can lose ourselves. We can forget what a blessing life is and how lucky we are to, to have a body. And we can forget to have gratitude. And, and that really hurts the living universe. So I'm super grateful for Kava in this time for giving these, these medicinal contained transmissions of a, like a greater remembrance regardless of what's going on in the moment. And I do believe that we can resource in those containers and that that will enable us to to not fall apart and to, to stay strong for what I think will probably be a long journey. I was really appreciating the way you connected kava and the plant world in general to the fact that this is this is a long haul journey we're in together as a human family and Jack hammering away the crusty bits of white supremacy, which is a really amazing and powerful visual and that we are sensitive beings and there is such potential for burnout and overwhelm and sickness and so many ways of responding, particularly with bringing ancestral traumas and all of it. So I, I really appreciated the way you share that and um, we'll keep that with me for the moments when I feel like it's all too much mm. and I want to duck out and um, what I can do to resource myself and stay in it, stay in it. So thank you so much for all that you shared. What a delightful, fascinating conversation with you. I was so looking forward to it and I appreciate you on your mountaintop down south from me sharing all your wisdom and just whatever came through. I'm, I'm really grateful for your time and your generosity. Thanks so much for this conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. I know your time is sacred and the fact that you spent it with me talking about belonging means a lot. If you want to access show notes or links to old episodes, check out belongingpodcast.com. And if you know a friend who could really benefit from listening to this episode, share it with them. I'll talk to you soon.